Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your life. There is an ultimate purpose. There is an ultimate source of creation, an ultimate source of reality, and the source of all reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. And that is who the one true eternal God is. And for those that are new, I want you to go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where I will share with you through the videos that you will see there that I have created a lot of the objective evidence, but also great understanding and insight into who the one true God could only possibly be, where I give a very integrous definition of truth and of reality in a scientific way that points to this ultimate reality, which could only be who I am describing in those videos at ultimatemeaning.com. And the last videos I did there, which would be the lowest in the uh, gallery, are the most recent ones. And that last one is also a very good introduction for those that are new. Now, I also have a flip book there, which you can look at, with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me, that answers many hard questions, even for those that are familiar with the truths that are shared in this message and in messages that I give. Many answers are given there. There are links highlighted in red that go to many profound and amazing YouTube videos that also highly confirm for many fields of science and archaeology the truth and the reality of what I am sharing here. So for those that have come to know the one true God, for whom to know is life eternal, I want to explain to you that are new how I share these messages. The word of God commands us in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I will seek to do that in this message. There's another verse in Revelations 19.10 that says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth out of a pure heart, with a genuine love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow that can result in creative utterances beyond ourselves. In other words, we begin to speak as the oracles of God to one another, out of God, out of his spirit. We speak prophetically, not in the sense of telling the future, although that could be included, but in the sense that the words that are coming out of us are truly coming from the spirit of God and not our own mere intellectual reasoning. So I will seek to do this 
and as it describes in Revelations 19.10, that it is out of worship that flows that spirit of prophecy. So I will seek to have a heart set and a mindset of worship in doing this message. And what I do to facilitate that is I cast lots to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible using two independent random applications. So that... I get two chapters that would bear witness with each other as to what is discovered to be the theme and the message that God would be saying at this particular time to the churches, to his people. As it says in Revel, pardon me, in Matthew 25, towards the end, it says, Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find so doing. Doing what? It says there, giving the sheep their meat in due season. We are to be those that are giving to one another the words that come from God at the appointed time. So in this day, in this time, I am giving this message, which is on July the 7th of 2023. In the evening, quite late, it's already 9.20 in the evening when I'm beginning this message. So what I do is I meditate on those two chapters I get by the casting of Lot, and then I speak without, with just a half an hour of meditation, and then I speak. Now, I haven't been doing as many messages, so I'm just going to choose one of the passages that stood out more this week that I received by the casting of Lot. I don't know what I'm going to share on. I hardly remember anything at this point in time of except the verses and so on, of the various messages throughout the week, which I'll touch on, but mainly there will be one that I'll focus on. And I will try to give the overall message that was coming through by the casting of Lot, confirming what God is saying. And so before I do that, I always cast lots to get a song as well. And I do this with great reverence. If someone does this, they have sin in their life, or they do it in an irreverent way, it will not work. And maybe God isn't calling everyone to do what I do. But it was something that was practiced extensively by the nation of Israel. The early church used it to choose the apostle that would take the place of Judas. And they probably used it for a lot of other things. It was used by powerful movements of revival in church history, such as the Moravians who were powerfully used of God, who even chose their own wives by the casting of Lot before God. So don't knock such things out of your own boxed-in understanding out of what you believe is right. So I want to share with you what I have received and just allow God to speak through me to you as an individual, and to what God is saying to the churches, especially in the United States and in Canada at this crucial time, but certainly to the churches around the world. But this is more to the church that is prosperous or in an environment of prosperity and affluence, which is fast fading away in this hour when we see obvious impending judgment. We are living in a very serious time. It is really surprising that there is very few people thus far, that have really awakened to the time that we are living in. 
Word of God prophesies in Isaiah 60, that in the last days, gross darkness would cover the earth. That is hopelessness. And if there's ever a time when people are losing hope, it is now, when most of the institutions are being exposed as corrupt and not trustworthy, where most of the governments around the world have been exposed as extremely corrupt and oppressive and tyrannical and are seeking out of own, their own selfish interests to take over and not truly serve the people that they are ruling over but themselves at the great expense of the vast, vast majority. I want to share with you, therefore, this song, first of all, which was received out of the possibility of 1,250 songs by Cast Lot, and I got this song today. And so this is the song that will go with this message. So that will be done first in this message. So we'll go with that song. I will minimize myself in a moment here. Victor, 
wonderful. That should be all of our prayers. The enemy can condemn our hearts and say, no, you could never be an overcomer. Or no, you won't ever be able to let go of this in your life, so how could you ever be an overcomer? I'm going to maximize myself here while I'm continuing to speak. So how could you ever be an overcomer? What does the Word of God say? It says if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He doesn't want us, when we feel weak and inadequate in ourselves, to shrink back, but to come to the throne of grace, it says boldly, in the time of need. That is your time of need. When the enemy's condemning you, when your own heart is condemning you and making you feel weak, you come to him. You don't hide your weaknesses. You say to him, Lord, I don't have the strength. Lord, take this desire away from me. You need to pray out the root of the things that the enemy may have a foothold in your life on. Why settle for anything less than going all the way? That's where there's the victory. That's where there's abundant life forever. That's where you will have an inheritance throughout eternity. that would be beyond your comprehension. You know, I did write a book, which I'm going to probably sell for free again to get it going, but right now I don't have the time. It's a 368-page large paperback, 6 by 9 titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can purchase either in Kindle or on your phone or whatever device, or as a paperback. But in this book, there is a discovery I made that I've never seen any other of the best-selling books. Or, and mine has got no star ratings because no one knows about it. Actually, it's better than the bestseller. I've read the better, the bestseller. But in this book, I discovered something in my research from a particular website that does great investigation and has thousands and thousands of afterlife death experiences of those that have died and have come back to life through being revived by medical equipment and so on. And I discovered that the people that had an apathetic attitude, some of them were from totally different religious backgrounds, but they were apathetic. They had no hunger or desire to know the truth. Others were Christians that said, ah, they didn't know if they really believed or they they didn't care much. It didn't mean a lot to them. You know what I found out? That when they transitioned out of their physical body into the ultra-real permanent spiritual realm, which is far more, by many magnitudes, superior to the physical realm, that their sight was not the same as the sight of those that were hungry for the truth. They were wanting truth. They were wanting reality, even if they weren't from a Christian background. The ones that were apathetic in the other realm described that they what they were seeing was 
something different than sight and it was about the same as physical sight. Whereas the ones, most of the people, of course, many of them experienced vision that was so sharp they could see right through objects. They could see behind their body, through their body. They could see little teeny detail miles away. They could see their intellect was so great that they could absorb in a few seconds whole dictionaries. That's normal for many in the experience of the afterlife. But there are many that didn't experience that. Maybe it's because they weren't out of their body long enough. You can't draw a definitive conclusion. But overall, that would be the conclusion because it was consistent. I noticed that the ones that filled out the report that said they weren't interested in truth, they had to also describe what they experienced and their experience of sight and so on. And they were, as it were, blind in the spiritual realm because they had no desire to see spiritually in the physical realm. The truth, they didn't want the truth. So they were blind. And their intellect was not great. And the experience of reality was not as great. It was about the same, they said, as the physical. Well, there's many that experienced a reality so much more greater. A consciousness so much more real that one compared it to 2D paper in comparison to the 3D dimension. That's how much greater the ultra real spiritual realm would be to this 3D realm. Now, I'm just speaking without even getting into the message here, I know. But that is what God is saying. He is wanting to speak to his people that they would wake up and not be asleep. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. When we are asleep and at ease in Zion, we become insular. We don't have tears for those around us that are suffering and for the lost because we're just caught up in our own spin, our own little world, like the electrons of an atom spinning around, the electrons of spinning around the nucleus of an atom, forming a hard shell. And God wants to break that hard shell and bring us into a wonderful relationship with him. And even as believers, we can fall into this state of being insular. It says in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He's calling you to arise, to wake out of your sleep, body of Christ. Especially when we see the impending judgment all around us that is also causing a harvest to become very ripe because they're being cornered to a place of hopelessness where you only have the message of hope, of eternal life for them, of life abundant that they could also experience in this world, not by material blessings, but by a union with God that satisfies the inner core of your being because you have the very source of ultimate reality dwelling within you. The I am that I am, Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name for God in the Old Testament. And the other name is Elohim, meaning the Almighty's, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is calling us to be those 
that shine bright with love, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In the midst of hopelessness, you can be in tortured in prison terribly by the enemy. Like Brother Yun, the heavenly man, look him up on YouTube. Tortured by the Chinese Communist Party for 10 years in prison, terribly beyond imagination. Miraculously escaped when God intervened and supernaturally opened the prison doors in broad daylight. He walked right past guards and so on and walked right out into freedom. And those that were around that were men and women of God gave him a word of knowledge that said to him, today you're going to walk out of prison. And here they had sludged his both knees with sledgehammers so that he was crippled and was crawling. But suddenly he could walk and the prison door opened and he escaped to Europe and has communicated with top people in the government here in the United States in the past. A man that fasted 74 days without food or liquid, which is impossible to do because he wanted to get out and preach the gospel. And while he was in that time, they tortured him so terribly that they threw him into the sewer of all the stuff that the people went to the washroom and it flowed to. The sewage of the prison threw him in there. He was sent home one and they once they sent his body home because they thought he was dead and he came to life. This is a true story. You can look up Brother Young, the heavenly man. Watch him on YouTube share his testimony. He's got his whole book on there on audio. You can listen to the whole thing for free. That is the power of abundant life in the midst of the greatest contradiction of circumstances. Did he have the strength in himself to overcome? No. He knew weakness just like you would have in those circumstances. But because he gave his weaknesses to God, God gave him the strength to overcome. Well, I want to share with you what I received today from the Word of God. And so, we will now go to what I received from the Word of God. I am not going to go through all that I received this week, but one message that did stand out to me, although I haven't really got notes on this, was the chapters I received this last Tuesday on July the 4th. So I will start reading this. Just certain verses in Exodus 25. Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. Then we skip down to 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the, upon the ark and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee, in commandment unto the children of Israel. 
But here are the part that's highlighted in green is the part that lines up with the other passage of scripture that I received. And it's basically the description of the 12 candlesticks that are there on the table, I believe, facing the showbread, which is on the table, another table. And so it describes these candlesticks and the oil that is supplying the candlesticks. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And it's a detailed description of how that, those twelve those candlesticks were made. Seven lamps, pardon me. And what do we have in Matthew? It's highlighted in green. Well, first of all, before we go to that, I feel we will read the part that is in dark print here. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what he is listing here is the condition of one's heart before God that allows for a blessing in your relationship with God, an abiding relationship of God richly dwelling in you results in the blessing of God, even if you are Brother Yun that has been tortured terribly, he has experienced a blessing that is beyond description of the indwelling of God's love in his heart and of communion with God. So one of the conditions of the heart is that we are to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have free access to the total governance of God in heaven, to all that he has. The poor in spirit speaks of the place where we clothe ourselves with humility. And that is birthed out of the genuine fear of God. And the genuine fear of God is the right reciprocation of the being of God, the right perception of the being of God, a choice to rightly perceive God from the heart that involves the turning of the heart to acknowledge what God could only be to be ultimately trustworthy and worthy to contain unlimited power and life and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way and thus indicative that he is the very source thereof. And that is that God cannot tolerate corruption. His love has integrity. It is very pure. It is very severe on corruption. It will not condone what is contrary to love. In fact, it is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. And when we acknowledge God and his holiness, 
it makes us aware of our unworthiness apart from the mercy of God. It makes us aware that <clears throat> without God, we would be less than nothing, which means we would be in a place of everlasting torment. Because we have rebelled. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If it's just in your thoughts. Yes, God's love does not tolerate what is contrary to love. But his love is so great that he came to this world. Yes, he's that great. That he can not only come in human form and communicate with human beings as he did in Genesis 18 with Abraham, where he ate with Abraham and Abraham addressed him as Yahweh, the most sacred name for God. And Jesus Christ said he is the I am. And the word Yahweh basically means the I am that I am. And yes, in Jesus Christ, God became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice. He humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross. He suffered more than you, a mere creature in the cross. And as is described in this book that I've written by men of God that have died, like Dean Braxton and Dale Black and others, the love in that ultimate dimension is so beyond this world that there's no words or descriptions that can put it into earthly language to the intensity of love that Christ was showing towards them when he stood before them. In some cases, 21 feet tall. In other cases, coming down to seven feet tall to whatever he feels is appropriate for the people that are standing before him. And it felt like they were the apple of God's eyes and that God didn't care for anyone else in the universe but them. That's what it felt like. And it felt like they knew without a doubt that if he only created them, he loved them so intensely that he would have died on the cross and suffered that cruel death on the cross of his body being broken unto death and his blood poured unto death out of his love for his creation and for this individual standing before him in heaven, Dean Braxton and others. And yet they knew that he loved others with the same intensity. That is the love. So it says in the word of God, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, when we really fear God, there is this reciprocation that must be first of his holiness that drives us to the place of utter awe of whose presence we're in and of utter humility and of undoneness, a place where we feel poor in spirit. As Abraham said in one of his prayers that you can read in Genesis, he said, I am but dust and ashes before you, O God. Great humility. The genuine fear of God also drives one out of that humility to the place of total honesty and transparency, to know that you cannot hide anything from God, to confess your sins, to not hide your motives of pride or of lust or whatever it is that you have not submitted to God. And so we come in our weaknesses and our helplessnesses 
and we cry out and we say, God, I'm so weak. Help me. Help me, Father, and change my desire. And he will. He will do that for you. And you will learn the secret of overcoming, which is the secret of these things that are mentioned here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Who does he give the garment of praise to? Those that mourn. There's a song, I don't know if I can bring it to my mind, that we used to sing back in the 70s. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God. Praise with the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. The garment of praise for the spirit of mourning. Blessed are they that mourn. There's a place for joy. There's a place for mourning. And if we do not know what it means to mourn in our heart before God over maybe things in our own life or those that we are crying for that don't know God, then is our heart soft? Is it fallow ground in which the seed of life can be planted and bring forth fruit? Blessed are they that mourn, as Christ is described as a man of grief and a man of sorrows. Doesn't mean that he didn't know joy unspeakable. He said, I thank thee, Father in heaven, that thou hast revealed these things unto babes, for so it was in thy sight, and he rejoiced. There's a place for rejoicing, and there's a place for mourning. What God wants is a heart that's real. He doesn't want hype. He doesn't want people being who they're not or striving to try to get God to be a certain way in our perceptions to bring him down to what we believe will release him in our lives. This is what he says. Be real. And if you're real before me, you will be in this state of your heart at certain times. And the ones that mourn are the ones that shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I want to go into this word meekness a little bit more. I did do this just before the message because I thought, you know, that word meek, I've heard it kind of misused in the past in certain messages I heard from a certain speaker way in the past, and it reminded me of that word. So I looked it up and did a quick word study on the word for the word meek. And this is what I discovered. It says of Moses in Numbers 12.3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. That word meek, if you look it up in the Hebrew, what they say is the first is figuratively it means depressed in mind or circumstances or needy. So it's a state of of acknowledging your need before God, but there's more than that to it, really. So I want to point out the symbolic letters of this Hebrew word, because I find they have the most meaning. 
So we go back to the root of this word, meek. And it is the symbolic letters which are the most ancient Hebrew language letters. These are the letters that go way back to 1500 BC, 2000 BC, were probably uh, created by Joseph. That's what the evidence shows in Egypt. Uh, although the other languages like the Phoenicians and so on had the same kind of alphabet. And the last letter, by the way, is the symbol of the cross just as we know it today, which means sign or symbol, side note. But this here, the first letter is the symbol of the eye that has to do with seeing. And the second letter is the sprout, which has to do with the meaning of continuance. Now, I've copied down what the ABL, um, I got to make this a bit wider because I can see somehow I must not have this in the proper format because it's edge is not readable. So I'm just going to go up here and make sure I have this in web layout. Now I have it in the right format. Or do I? Oh, I think it just one sec here. We'll just go there again. Web layout. Okay, it's definitely in web layout now. So we'll go back there to this word. And I want to show you what it means in the AHLB which I get through uh, this software that's free that's called Word. And the first letter is the symbol of the eye and the second letter, the sprout, which has to do with continuance. So it's seeing something and then seeing to it that it continues, that it doesn't die, okay? That something continues. If I have to widen this, oh. I guess it's just against the edge there. It looks like it's... Okay, no problem. We're going to go on here with this word. And I want to point out something about this word. And I'm going to have to widen this to see it for some reason. I don't know why the edge is out here. But it is out. And so... I will read it now, and this is what it says. It says, the pictograph of the eye is the picture of the eye, and of course the spreading seed is the picture of a seed representing continuance. Combined, this means the eye of continuance. The nomadic agriculturist carefully watches over his livestock, his crops, by keeping a close eye on them. It was common to construct a shelter consisting of a roof or four posts, as a shelter from the glare of the sun. Okay. And then he goes on to say that it also means furrow or affliction, a watching over something of importance, the furrow formed between the eyes when intently looking or from depression. So the idea is that a person is very watching over their relationship with God and aware of their absolute need and dependency upon God. It is a place of great humility before God. It's the same root that's used for affliction, that's used for a furrow, which is a depression in the ground. 
one who is oppressed or depressed, not in the sense of being negative all the time and depressed all the time, but in the sense of humility and reverence before God that brings a heart that is very watching over a relationship with God, even to the creasing of our eyes with our face bowed before him, so to speak, in contrition. So that's what I wanted to bring out about that word. So it says here, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And what quenches our hunger and thirst after righteousness is our loves for the things of this life that take precedence over our desire to have a relationship with God. And God is calling us out of the world in this hour, out of the things that desensitize us and cause us to become hard-hearted and insular. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Can we forgive those that hurt us? Can we show mercy? If we really see how great the mercy of God is towards us, we will show mercy towards others. What did God say by the Spirit through King David? To the merciful, you will show merciful. To the deceptive, you will be deceptive, and so on and so forth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are to guard our heart with all diligence, as Proverbs says, for out of it are the issues of life. And yes, we all may have thoughts of lust or desire. I'm still a young man in body, even though I'm up there in years, and I have to watch myself being single and my thoughts and so on at times, that I'm keeping my eyes and my heart in a relationship with God guarding my heart, for out of it are the issues of life. We're to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so pureness of heart is to live a holy life. A pure life is a holy life. I could go into the meaning of the word holy in the Old Testament and the new and what it means, Yes, it means separation, but the root meaning is far more than separation. It means purity, and as a result of that purity, to have that purity, you must be separate and not have that purity defiled. You guard yourself to be in a place of purity out of love for God, not out of some religious attempts to be holy. but out of recognizing that your true source of fulfillment and pleasure and love is only in God and that those things that we may tempted to become hypnotized by that are temporal are lying vanities, as it says in Jonah, that those that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And God is calling his people in this time to come into a place of purity and holiness in their relationship as individuals and corporately before him. 
These are the important conditions of our heart that allow the fullness of God's indwelling to be in us so that the lamp of God's oil burns bright and shines bright in our being. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those that seek to make peace between those that are at odds with each other. Even Paul the Apostle had an argument with um, Barnabas over John, and they parted their ways. It can happen to even the most spiritual. But God calls us to be those that are peacemakers, to break down the tendencies of the enemy, to cause division. We go on and we read here. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And brothers and sisters, people that live with a heart relationship of these conditions of heart that I've just, just described will be a shining bright light that will expose darkness more by their life than their words and their deeds, but it will be both. And it will cause people to persecute them. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That means that we're in conformity to the being of God. So that we hate what he hates, what his love hates, which is contrary to love. And we love what he loves, which is in conformity to genuine pure love instead of counterfeit so-called love. We go on and we read here. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You see, salt preserves, but salt also hurts. The truth hurts what is contrary to truth. The salt preserves one from what is corrupt and destroys goodness. The salt in God's love is the integrity of his love or his holiness that will not condone what is contrary to his holiness. And so when we are silent before unrighteousness and we fail to reprove it because we fear persecution, we lose our salt. And the same is true in relationships with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. When we become more fearful of being misunderstood by our brothers and sisters than being who we really are before God in integrity and in integrity before one another, then we're not speaking the truth in love. We're lovey-dovey, ignoring the truth so that our love is not integrous. And as a result, we conform to one another like a bunch of bricks that all look the same, which is a denominational shell or mindset that forms over a congregation, and usually there is a hierarchy somewhere that it comes from. And God is calling the body of Christ in this hour to report, repent of a denominative heart and mindset that causes this shell 
when we find more identity in one another than our relationship with God, whereas when we put the Lord first before one another, then that identity in God is greater and also in one another, so that we love one another fervently with a pure heart and truly do those things that are laying down our life for one another, which means that sometimes we will be those that need to be salt to our brothers and sisters. For it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. May we be those that learn to be truthful before God and before one another with showing great reverence and respect to one another. Because if we truly fear God and know the greatness of his holiness and his mercy in our lives and the blessing of that, we will truly treat one another in the same way as we treat God. We will learn to wash one another's feet and yet to be salt to one another out of love. So that means we don't approach someone in a proud spirit, but in a spirit of what? Meekness, which has the element of humility. This is what causes the light to shine. That is why Christ is talking about the light here. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. What he's saying here is that if the condition of our heart is these conditions he describes, then our light will shine bright before the world. And it will not be able to be hid because we will be so filled with the presence of God and with his righteous boldness in us that we will not fear to reprove the fruitful works of darkness, not only by the presence that we carry, but also at times because he calls us to speak the truth out of a right spirit, like the prophets like Jeremiah, who was the prophet of tears and wept. He didn't want to tell all those things, hard things to those people. He even wished at one time he was not born because he didn't like what his cross was that he was having to take up. But he got through that weakness of feeling so discouraged. He got through it because he always knew his source. He knew where to go to receive strength. Yes, God is calling the bride of Christ to come forth and shine as a bright light in these last days, brothers and sisters. He's calling us to the genuine fear of God that will birth a life of purity, a life with these qualities and virtues and of course of joy unspeakable and full of glory and all the fruits of the Spirit, yes. He's calling us. And I've written a book called 
God, Headship, and Body Invasion, about 250 pages thereabouts, which you can order on Amazon and also get in Kindle as well. It's an outline format, which is actually a lot of paragraphs just in different levels. that tells everything you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. Many suggestions. God is calling for a new order in the body of Christ. He is calling, and in this book I de describe a strategy where we organize across the nation of Canada and the United States a time on a long weekend where we have three days of fasting and prayer. And some can go on an Esther fast if they're physically able to do it. I've done it a number of times and found it easier than when I drank water. I don't understand why. Yeah, I was a bit thirsty. But God is wanting us as his people to come together and to cry out to him and to fast and pray. And repent of the gods of amusement that have hardened our heart. Watching sports, leadership condoning it and causing believers to just be all involved in those things instead of prayer. Instead of having a life of prayer, we're caught up with all the loves of the world and then we wonder why. Everything is getting so bad around us. With governments and educational systems. When the church truly repents for three days of fasting and prayer across each city, and town and the nation and signs are put up saying come to this place in the city urgent three days of fasting and prayer turn to God put that up in a big sign come here signs pointing to where to go in each town and city across the nation and we turn to God and we really repent of not having holiness in our lives of the loves of the world that take up our time. God will do a wonderful thing. That's in the book. The other thing is that the new order in local assemblies is such that we do not limit God. So we don't relegate the church to just having some pre-service prayer meeting. We make the main service start with a prayer meeting and we don't stand for just an hour and a half service. We have a service about, I would say, at least four hours or three hours if that's too much but three to four hours, and of course, ideally, that would start on a Sunday around two o'clock and go till six o'clock. You start with prayer, the whole church becoming more conscious of Christ in your midst instead of the program at the front. Then after there's prayer and people praying, and people standing behind those that pray. Then there's singing and worship, and out of the worship, there is the facilitation of the gifts of the Spirit this is something that is greatly lacking and must be restored in the last day church that people move freely in the gifts of the spirit they don't have to worry about you getting permission to use the mic at the front come on let god have his way and move through the body are people so immature that they can't sense when the spirit is rising in them to speak if it is so okay do it a certain way and gradually get into the place where people get used to moving in the gifts of the Spirit. They've been used to being passive, and this is not what was in the early church. And it is not what God desires. As Moses said, I wish that all Israel prophesied when they were complaining that people were prophesying in the camp. He wanted them all to be in that place with God. 
and we're in an hour when the church needs to wake up and become his conquering bride church. And that means that the gifts of the Spirit can freely function. I could talk for a long time, but I've already been speaking for almost an hour about things, but these are two important things. His house becoming a house of prayer. His house becoming a house of holiness where we are sensitive to the leading of his spirit. And that was another passage I got earlier this week. It was about the cloud leading the children of Israel in the tabernacle. And the other passage that day was about also the presence of God in his uh, assembly. God wants to bring his presence down and his presence comes down when his house becomes a house of prayer and of holiness where we are in great awe and reverence before God and humility. And I could go into all the passages I received this week and the message is very clear what God is saying. He is calling his people to become his habitation of holiness and of purity. And, and you know, I can't go into it all. I've, I've shared enough. But this was the message. It was about the tabernacle, the glory of God. His dwelling among us. He can only dwell among us when we are living a holy life. A life that's truly in love with God. That truly knows that deep abiding relationship with him. And so thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.